Y'all hear me all right? So today we're going to talk about 1 John, the first epistle of John, chapter 1. And I love the singing today, the last uh, chorus that we sung, Glory to God the Father, Glory to God the Son, and Glory to the Holy Spirit. The Lord God is our salvation. He works His work of love in our hearts, and we shine like lights into His dark world. We, he is the light in our heart that shines forth because of the work that he's done. Let's give him praise and glory as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for Jesus who came to propitiate our sins. He satisfied the wrath of God so that we may live. And Lord, we just praise you for what you've done. And we ask that you will shine your heart, your light into our heart that we may live. And certainly you've done that. And we ask, Lord, that you will continue to sustain us as we live and that we may shine for you brightly because of what Jesus has done for us and his works in our heart. Thank you for helping us to learn from you. It's not about what I say or any other man, but it's about you bringing your word to our heart. Thank you for helping us to understand who you are and how you're working with us and through us. Thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the writing of John because John the Apostle is a dynamic writer. And I mean that because he uses metaphor a lot to bring forth truth. And you have to understand how he's using those metaphors. For example, when Judas betrayed our Lord, He simply says, and it was night. And the reality is that Satan came over Judas and created a darkness in this man's heart where he betrayed our Lord and Savior. And it was night. And he uses that type of language to bring forth his truth. He's uh, very much a dynamic writer. And I also think it's important to understand how John was changed. Do you remember that John and his brother James had a nickname, Sons of Thunder? Well, I wonder why John and his brother James had that nickname. What were their characteristics like? Well, I'm thinking they're probably like two brothers growing up, right? And I don't know about Jewish little boys, but American little boys, when they grow up, they're always you know, tossing each other around, wrestling, probably loud and boisterous. Kind of makes me wonder if boisterous, if that's where they got that name from, but that word from. But these two were loud. They were sons of thunder, right? And and, and these two also were the two guys that came up with their mom to Jesus, ironically, right before he was crucified. And their mom says, hey, can I have one of my two sons sit on your right and your left? And I love the way Jesus answered that. It was very, uh, very mild. His response was, well, that's not mine to give. And you don't really understand what's going on right now. Um, but my point was, and is, is that John and James and the rest of the disciples changed. They changed drastically. Because later on when John wrote his gospel, he didn't even mention his name. He just called himself the one whom Jesus loved. And that's how he wanted to be known. In fact, there's some academic 
arguing about whether this Gospel of John is actually written by John. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that it is. But the point was is that John didn't even use his own name in his, his Gospel. He just said, I'm the one who Jesus loved. And I think the reason for that is John was captured by the love of Christ in his heart. It's not that John was the only one Jesus loved. He loves us all the same. But the love of Christ was captured in his heart. He just just loved the fact that Jesus loved him. And that's how he wanted to be known. I think John was just fascinated and captivated by the love of Christ. And he tried to pass that on to the church. You know, Paul speaks of love too, and he has a different way of kind of presenting things. To the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, Paul says, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. I think his point is very clear, is that love is very important in our walk with the Lord. And that is what indeed changes us. We need to be impacted by the love of God. And we all transition from selfish people to God-loving people. And it makes us, the result is we become people who love people like God does. Because of the love of God in our heart. God's love changes us. This word love is agape, or agapeo in the verb form. And and this love is like a volitional love, a brotherly love. And it's the fact that God chooses to love us. You know, God says, I will love you, and this is how I'm going to love you. I'm going to send my son Jesus to redeem you, and then I'm going to put that love in your heart when you accept Him and you walk with Him. And other people don't know that. But we have a transition. And First John focuses on how love motivates and changes us from our heart. So let's read. First John chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, and we could proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have from Him and announce to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. And the first point I'd like to bring out there is the word of life was from the beginning. Now some would say this beginning is talking about the ministry, the manifestation, and that's true. From the apostles' point of perspective is is they saw Jesus, and they learned from Him, and the life was manifested to Him. But also in verse 2, he talks about Jesus being from the beginning as an internal life with the Father. So I think the term in the beginning, you have to kind of realize that that is talking about the beginning of Christ. He has no beginning. He's eternal life. It goes all the way back to eternity. He being with God. 
And also there's a parallelism that is built here from his Gospel of John in the first chapter. It starts out basically the same way, and that parallels Genesis 1. So let's go ahead and kind of look through these and see how it works out, how John is talking about light. John used a similar style when opening the Gospel of John, which also parallels Genesis 1. And we'll look at John 1, the Gospel, in verses 1 through 5. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The Gospel of John and the Epistle of John, the first chapter, they have strong parallels. He's kind of saying the same thing. And it's interesting how the him and him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and they didn't get it. They couldn't comprehend it. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, and the result is that his life resides in his. Jesus uses the contrast of light and darkness, or John uses the contrast of light and darkness to explain how Jesus invades our dark lives. And there's a transition that occurs when we move from darkness to light. One of those transitions is knowledge. In John 1, verse 5, he says that the darkness did not comprehend it. And if you think about that, we see in the Gospels that Jesus stood right in the front of people and they didn't get it. If you look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they looked right at Jesus and they said, I don't even know who you are. In fact, they, they had a paternal argument uh, in John chapter 8. They said that you, you don't even know who your father is because of his virgin birth. And Jesus turns around and he says, well, your father is the devil. I know who your father is. There was a contrast there. And later, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there's the one, those are the ones that killed Jesus. They crucified Him. The Word of God. God Himself was crucified by men who walked in darkness. They couldn't see the light. They were blind. Another example of this is Pilate who's condemning Jesus and he, he says, what is truth? Are you kidding me? You're looking at God's incarnate Word and you say, and you look Him right in the eye and you say, what is truth? Do you realize the blindness that people have that exhibited in Scripture and also that we know? They can't see. They're in total darkness. I was walking in a cave down in Kentucky. We went down to Fort Campbell to do some military training, and on the weekend we had some time, so oh, let's go to this cave. It sounds like fun. So we're walking through this cave, and we get about halfway through the cave, and the guy says, you know what darkness is? Check this out. And he turns off the lights, and we're like, oh, man. There was absolutely no light. None. No light at all. You could have your fingers right in front of your face, and you couldn't see anything. A total absence of light is, is pure darkness. And that's where, people, that's where people are sometimes. People that don't know Jesus are in total darkness. They're blind to the light. They cannot see the light. They cannot comprehend the light. It's impossible for man to come to God in that respect. 
The darkness cannot comprehend light. However, there's another example. I was out working in my garage, which is back in the woods. And you know how your eyes get used to the light and you turn off the lights and you're like, oh, I can't see very much. And I start trying to walk through the woods down and I, I'm running into stuff. So I get my phone out and I flick on the flashlight and I, boom, and I turn on the light. Well, now I can see. I have the light. I can shine. And the light, as it shines, it penetrates the darkness. The darkness has no response to light. When you turn the light on, it pushes out in to the darkness, and the darkness cannot resist it. It can't push back. The light penetrates into the darkness and it pushes it out and it allows you to see. I think it's a marvelous metaphor that John uses that we have the light of God in our heart, His life itself, that allows us to be able to see things. Darkness is invaded by light. It is displaced by light. The light comes through and shines into the darkness, and the darkness has to flee. However, if there is no light, then there is blindness. Complete blindness. You know, the creation account is a strong parallel as well. How God creates life in our heart. The light is is the knowledge and the being of God indwelling our heart. In Genesis 1, verses 1-3, through It's written, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The creation account of the heavens and the earth were formless and void. These two words are really important to understand this. The word formless is tohu, which means unreality and confusion. The word void is bohu. It means emptiness and darkness. You get the idea that nothing was in order. Darkness, emptiness, and chaos just ruled everything. And the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And light was the first thing that God created to fill the void and creates order and even time. That is why Jesus is the exclusive way to God. He is the light of God that fills the void in our hearts and creates order from chaos. Before I knew Jesus, I'll tell you, my heart was in chaos. I was yearning for things that would satisfy me and nothing would ever satisfy me. But when I learned that Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, would indwell my heart and take over my life, I finally understood what it was to have a light that I could see where I was going. I had the light of life in my heart. And I know that you had the same opportunity to accept His life for yours. And then you can live. He provides the sacrifice and is the way of life. He doesn't just show us the way. He is the life. The light of Jesus in your heart is the way. You must possess Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Me. That's an interesting way that Jesus put that. He didn't say, I will show you the way. He said, I am the way. You must possess Christ in your heart to have His light to be a Christian and to be His. There is another characteristic 
of the light of Christ residing in us. That Jesus comes to be with us. This is a fascinating thing. God just doesn't leave us out there all alone. We need Him to live. You know, I was a helicopter pilot for quite a few years. And the neat thing about that, when you teach someone to fly, guess what you have to do? Sure, you go into a classroom, you talk about stuff for a while. But when you're out there learning how to fly, you've got to strap yourself into the same machine that they're strapped to. The guy who doesn't know really what to do. <laughs> you think about that. And you show him. You say, this is how I do this maneuver. And you come up and you do that maneuver. And he's kind of riding on the controls with you. And then you say, all right, now you try it. <laughs> and you kind of stand close to the controls in case he goofs up and crashes or something. You know, you don't, crashing a helicopter is bad because parts just go everywhere. It's bad. But the point is, is that you're with the person teaching them to fly. You know, you're not all alone. You don't just send the guy, all right, this is how you fly a helicopter and tell him about it. Now you go out there and try it. I'm going to stand here. (laughs) No. And after you're done with that person, then you would have the confidence to sit in the back or something, but not initially. We're all in that initial stage, aren't we? Come on, we're children of God learning. It's not fully realized who we will be yet in Christ. We're all learning. We're all in this progression. The neat thing about it is God comes and resides in our heart and is with us so that we can learn. And we don't go to hell. Yeah, that's the main point. Jesus has to save us from hell too. Keeps us from crashing. Right? But And He delivers us to heaven. And He walks with us as we learn. He wants us to learn from Him. That's why we have Jesus in our hearts so that we can learn. Consider this, Jesus, the light of heaven, resides in our hearts. He too guides and directs us and many times has to take control so we don't die in hell. He delivers us to heaven and is always with us. It's not our life, it's His life in us. God's Word, Jesus, is the incarnate Son, and He is a creative power that indwells us. He created the heavens and the earth, and He creates new life in our dark hearts. Ezekiel 11, 19-20, God says, And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them, and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh, and I give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, keep my ordinances, and do them. Then they will be my people, and I will be their God. It's not that you believe the light exists. Even the devil believes that. I mean, that's a start, but it's not about that. It's about the indwelling light of Jesus, indwelling your heart and mind. And it changes you. It makes you a new creature. You're spiritually born again because prior to that, you're dead. And when this happens, there's a transition occurs as far as we're working for the devil at one minute and then we accept Jesus. Now we're working for our Heavenly Father. And He brings us into His family. Because we are adopted into Jesus' family, we receive God the Father, God the Son, and the indwelling Holy Spirit we actually receive a triune God into our heart. Think about that one for a minute. You know, when you pray to God, you're praying to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all at the same time. And this is a God who loves each other. They are combined in perfect unity together. And they work together. And we have the same God indwelling our heart and mind. 
which brings us into unity as well. The second point is the life manifested brings us into fellowship with God, which brings joy. 1 John 1, 2-4 says, And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father, speaking of Jesus, and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be complete. The life was manifested and proclaimed, the Gospel. And I love the testimony of the apostles. And it is verified by many others as well. Do you know how they sealed their testimony? How they signed the last document? They died for it. They were all presented with a choice. Well, deny the Lord and worship Caesar. And they were like, no. We worship Jesus Christ and Him alone. And they died. Except John, who was exiled. And the way that they knew Jesus, in John 21.20, it speaks of Peter turning around speaking to John, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? I just love that, that, that understanding that they were just sitting down having dinner together. And John felt so comfortable with Jesus, he just leaned over and says, Hey, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? He was talking about Judas, but the point is that they were very comfortable and they knew each other. They knew the Lord quite well. And the testimony that they gave that we have now in the Gospels and the Epistles are, are, are a solid foundation of understanding of who Jesus is and what He's came to do. Jesus knew... John knew Jesus and was loved by Him. And it was reciprocal. The manifestation that matters is reliable testimony that is recorded, which makes its way to your mind and heart, and the living God indwells you. And so we're going to have a a big event this week, the music camp. And I'm going to say this, but let me explain it. (laughs) Evangelism isn't really about having an event. It's good that we have people come into our church. But evangelism is about taking the love of God and the knowledge of God and sharing it with those at the event or whatever that event may be. It might be your work or people in your family or whomever. That's evangelism when we reach out and we share God's Word with people. There's nothing wrong having an event. We're going to do the night out thing and we're going to do the music camp. and That's great. But the marvelous thing is that we get to share the light of Jesus with them. That's outreach at whatever level, whenever that occurs. You know, that's the cool thing that God allows us to participate in the gospel and to share his love with others because we know his love. He's right here in our heart. And we get to share that with people so they can come to understand it. In John 13.35, Jesus says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You being able to speak the light of God's Word into people's lives can transform them. That is what God wants us to do, and that's what outreach is. The Gospel then preached brings us into fellowship. 
Jesus, the light of God, brings us into fellowship that is created by the covenant in Christ's blood. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Do you know that we're in the Bible? Yeah, it's right here. Let me show you. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. He's talking about Hershey, Pennsylvania. Us that believe on Jesus because of their word. That they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Did you see what he just said there? Jesus is praying about us that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Jesus is inviting us into the Trinity to experience God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that we may be as one as they are as one. We're supposed to love people like God loves people because God is in our heart. It's an amazing prayer. What would bring more joy than having a fellowship with God? You can't manufacture joy. It's not like we want to fake it. But if you have the triune God abiding in your heart and, and, and providing a sacrifice for your sins so that you can have this relationship with Him, that should bring great joy. Because of God. Not because of us. Well, we can have joy together too. Scott and I kid around all the time. But it's the fact that we have Jesus in our heart is the source of that joy. The third point is the gospel brings us into fellowship with God and cleanses us from sin. In 1 John 1, 5-10, says, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The first point there, I think, is the blood of Christ cleanses us from confessed sin. And if we say we have no sin, our sin remains. And it says in there that God is righteous to forgive. That's an interesting statement. I was listening to John MacArthur this week, and he said something. I put my glasses on so I don't mess it up. He said something that I consider a zinger. You know what a zinger is? Probably not, because I just made it up. But a zinger is when you read something or you hear something and God takes it to your mind and your heart and you go, oh. This this was a zinger for me anyways. So John MacArthur was talking about the cross. And he said that the righteousness and justice of God is fully realized at the cross. However, in hell, judgment and punishment will never be fully spent. You think about that for a minute? When Jesus was on the cross and He said the word, it is finished, 
He was talking about the wrath of God that was spent at the cross and He absorbed it. He has an internal life. A life that was from the beginning. And He, God, spent the wrath of God on Jesus at the cross. An eternity of sin was dumped on Jesus. And the wrath of God was poured out upon Him. Jesus has an eternal life. And only eternal life could do that. A perfect life. And when he said, it is finished, he said, it's a Greek word meaning telestai. It means that the debt is paid in full. The wrath of God had been spent on Jesus, and then he died. The punishment was done. And, of course, we know that three days later, he rose from the grave because of our justification. If that wrath had not been completely spent on God, Jesus would not have been raised from the dead. In hell, punishment and judgment will never be fully spent. Not even, I don't think, even begin to. I don't understand eternity very well because we're people of time. We talked about that this morning. But in eternity, hell will just go on forever and ever and ever. What a terrible thing it is to think that people will turn away from Christ and His gift of salvation and they'll eternally be in darkness. This hatred that they have for Christ will always be there. You know, when we look at our sin, pride is a killer. Covetousness and lust, those are the big three, pride, covetousness, and lust. Covetousness and lust is pretty obvious. I mean, you know when you sin. But pride tells you you're doing good. Yeah. I'm like the number one in the kingdom. I'm good. Well, if you have that kind of a mindset, you're probably walking in pride, right? And you're deceiving yourself. You're going backwards instead of forward. Religion is one thing that sometimes cultivates pride. You know, if people think they're so religious that they're working their way to heaven, they're actually deceiving themselves. Legalism, people think that they're justified before God, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Total darkness. They thought that they were, they were the, the greatest in the kingdom. They're the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? They were in darkness. They couldn't even see the light. And the light was right in front of them. Religion will not deliver you. Legalism will not deliver you. But a right relationship with God through a covenant relationship with Christ that will deliver you. Because it's Christ's blood that delivers us. In Titus 2, 11-14, says, For the grace of God has appeared, talking about Jesus, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for this blessed hope and the peering of the glory of God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. This blessed hope is Christ Himself. When we see Him, we will be like Him and we will be perfect like He's perfect. We're not there yet. We're in this process. But 
The reality is we have this hope within us that someday we will see Him and be like Him. And the process that we're in right now is redemption, sanctification, and good works. We have a tendency to receive the message without realizing the potential of Christ in us. We escape, we in essence uh, stop at redemption. We do not realize our gifts, our path, and most importantly, we don't fully realize the love of Christ in our hearts. We can see the love of Christ on the cross as Jesus was poured out for us, but have we been poured out to God in a light manner? Do we have the light of God in us? Jesus said in John 8:12, Jesus said again and spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The love of God in your heart will change you. Remember how light vanquishes darkness? That's John's point. The indwelling light of Christ will vanquish the darkness, or there is no light. We're not perfect yet, but the process is becoming like Jesus. The difference is the light of Christ which indwells your heart and motivates righteousness and love from God through us. That is also, why the world will know us by our love, because it's not our love, it's the, light of, it's the light of Christ's love shining through him, through you, from him. God is most glorified when we realize our depravity before him. You know, we might think we're doing pretty good, but the, reali- the reality is we don't really have anything to offer God except Christ himself. Some may be offended by what the Bible declares about our disposition of total depravity, but the reality is we have nothing to add or say, no argument before God. The only justification that we have is through the cross and then walking with Jesus. That's where God wants us to be. The only thing we can offer is a response of grateful obedience to the light of grace which is offered through Christ. What the Bible offers is not a get-out-of-hell-free card, so we can live as we choose. And some people kind of legalistically apply the gospel in that matter, but it's not to be used that way. The Bible offers us Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead so that our dead souls may live again too. You live because you have the light of life in your heart. Do you need your sins forgiven? Yes, but don't stop there. You need Jesus radiating from your heart then you will be identified with Him and abide with Him, and the result is eternal life. The fact of the matter is, folks, we simply just need Jesus. That's what we need. Christ with us, in us, and through us. If you do not know Jesus and you would like to understand more about that, I invite you to come down at the end of the service or when we finish, and we'll go aside, and you won't have to do any work. And we can, we can pray for a while. And uh, I'll explain things for you. If you want to come down and just pray about a need, this is God's house. It's a house of prayer. Come forward and we'll pray about stuff if you have a need.